original Easter, uh, of course, we find that Easter is an explosion of joy. Easter means the great victory has been won. Jesus is risen from the dead. Death, therefore, is dead. Christ is triumphant. And if Christ is triumphant, how can we not be triumphant? How can we not be optimists in light of what Christ has done? How can you not be fully confident in what God is doing in your life and in the world when you look at everything in the light of Easter? If our hope is in Christ, how can our hope fail? Christ can't fail. He's already overcome the grave, the last and greatest enemy. Christ has already triumphed. How can we not win in the end? How can we not live with joy and with peace and with confidence? But I'm afraid a lot of us fail to live with this joy, this hope, this optimism, this confidence, this peace. I remember hearing it put this way one time, just talking about the modern church and how uh, soft we sometimes are and, and, and how, uh, how maybe we're too comfortable and, 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 and therefore we despair too easily. We're not really tough. Uh, and, and, and it was put this way, you know, it's like the modern American Christian sits in his easy chair in his nice house with his remote control in hand and he's flipping through the channels and, and he starts watching the evening news and he hears a few things going on in the world out there and as he takes another sip of his beverage, he despairs. And you've got that picture of the modern American church, but then contrast that with our ancestors in the faith who were thrown to the lions, and yet as they were thrown to the lions in the Colosseum, they were triumphant and joyful. Their persecutors are doing the worst that you can imagine to them, and yet they remain full of peace, full of joy. They were triumphant. We have it easy, and yet we despair. They had it hard, and yet they rejoiced. Isn't that ironic? Isn't it ironic that in our relative comfort we can be despairing while in their great suffering they were triumphant? But maybe one thing we can learn in the midst of this pandemic is how to be confident and joyful and at peace in less than ideal circumstances. When some of our comforts have been snatched away from us, maybe when we lose that kind of comfort, we can gain another kind of comfort, the kind of comfort that Christ promises to us through his spirit. Maybe when things are too easy for us, we start to slide into apathy and decadence. And maybe that's part of what God is doing and bringing this trial on us. Perhaps it's a wake-up call for the church as much as anything else. John chapter 20 is a really interesting passage to me uh, because it captures the triumph of Easter. But it does so almost in a sense in real time. Uh, as the disciples begin to, to catch on to what's happening and, and it gradually dawns on them what Christ has done, we gradually move from uh, this sense of doubt and despair that the disciples have at the beginning when they think that uh, Christ is, is still dead or perhaps his body's been stolen out of the tomb to the full realization of meeting the risen Christ and, and now they're full of faith and joy. It's that whole transition that takes place right before our eyes in this passage. So in what we're looking at uh, here in John chapter 20, uh, verses 19 to 23, we really pick up uh, the story on the evening of that first Easter. We looked at what happened that Easter morning last week. Now we're on Easter evening. And the disciples fear the Jews, we're told. 
the, the Jewish leaders, no doubt, is what is in view. The Jewish leaders uh, are the ones who orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus. And no doubt the disciples are thinking if the Jewish leaders could get Jesus crucified, maybe they're going to come after his followers next. And so we better hide ourselves away. And so that's what they're doing. They're locked in a room. And in a way, you can say they've quarantined themselves. They're, they're on lockdown. They don't want to go out because they're afraid for their lives. Uh, so maybe that sounds a little familiar. Uh, yet somehow in the midst of that lockdown, mysteriously, miraculously, the risen Christ appears to them in the midst of this locked room. He comes to them. He, he, he breaks through. We don't know how he entered the room. It's obviously some kind of miracle. Did he somehow miraculously unlock the door? Did he miraculously pass through the walls? Different theories on that. Whatever the case, he appears in their midst. And he says to them, peace be with you. Now, before his crucifixion, on the night he was betrayed, uh, possibly in the same upper room that the disciples are now in on Easter night, Jesus gave what you can really sort of think of as his last will and testament to the disciples, what we know as the upper room discourse. And that comes to a conclusion in what I read from John 16, 33, really his final words to them, where he says this. He says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, in me you will have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. Jesus promises his disciples peace. And that peace is described and defined in terms of his victory. Victory over the world. It's a peace that comes as Jesus overcomes the world, as he conquers the world. It's a peace that results from the victory that Christ is about to win. Christ will overcome the world, and in that overcoming, we have peace. We might ask, how does Jesus overcome the world? How and when does this happen? Well, the obvious answer to that question is the cross. We could say the cross and resurrection, but it really begins with the cross. And we see that here in John chapter 20. Jesus speaks peace, and then what does he do next? He shows them his wounds, his scars from the cross, and then he speaks peace to them again. So it's kind of like a sandwich. You have peace, wounds, Peace, wrapped around showing them his wounds or these declarations of peace. So if we ask, how has Christ overcome the world and brought his people peace? The answer is through the cross. Clearly, then, this is not some kind of cheap peace. This is a costly peace because it cost Jesus his life. But he has now triumphed over the world, to win that victory, to overcome the world, to conquer the world. He had to lay his life down, but he's done that. And now God has raised up Jesus. God has raised up his son, and he presents himself to his disciples, scars and all, and he announces peace to them, peace that he has just made through the cross. Paul in Colossians chapter 1 says Jesus made peace through the blood of his cross. So there's that same idea. And then in chapter 2 of Colossians, Paul unpacks that piece in terms of Christ's victory over the principalities and powers, those principalities and powers that are the world. When Scripture talks about the world, that's a big aspect of what it's talking about, the principalities and powers. So Paul's got the same truth in view in Colossians 1 and 2. See, we Christians are overcomers. We're overcomers in Christ. We are triumphalistic, but it's a different kind of triumphalism, and this is important to see. 
Think about a soldier returning home from a terrible battle. And he's been scarred on the field of battle, but he has managed to lead his troops to victory. Or perhaps he's won the great victory single-handedly. And the soldier's now returning home. That's Jesus. That's a picture of Jesus. He's got scars, scars from the battlefield, scars from his hard-fought victory over the world. And now he's returning home. He's returning to his people. And when he comes to them, he shows off his scars and he can say to them, look at these scars. Look at these wounds. I did this for you to bring you this peace, to bring you this victory. And verse 20 tells us when the disciples heard and saw this, they were glad. Verse 20 tells us when they saw the Lord, they were glad. Their sadness becomes gladness. This is the dawning realization of what has happened, what it's all about, that their Lord really was crucified, but now he's been raised from the dead, and so he really has overcome the world as he promised, and so he really is giving them peace. With the victory won, with peace established, there's joy. This joy is unleashed. And again, this is what Easter is really all about, this explosion of joy, this unleashing of the joy. Peace does not mean the end of all tribulation or the end of our suffering. Uh, I think that's clear here as well. Go back again to Jesus' words in John chapter 16 in the upper room. Yes, he gives peace because he overcomes the world, but he says, in the world you will have tribulation. He says, in me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. And those aren't mutually exclusive. Are we in Jesus or in the world? Well, we're in both. We're in Jesus in one way and in the world in another way. We live our lives in the world, but we're united to Jesus. We're in him. And so we have his peace even as we endure the tribulations of the world. The world gives tribulation to God's people. Jesus gives peace to God's people. And so somehow we experience peace even in the midst of tribulation. Jesus overcomes the world. That is to say, he overcomes the fallen world order. That fallen world order of the principalities and powers, that fallen world order represented by the Jewish authorities who crucified Jesus. That whole system has been defeated. That whole system has been overcome. But you can tell from Jesus' words, just because the world has been overcome doesn't mean that the world doesn't still fight against us. The world is defeated, but the world still fights back. The world can't win, and we can't lose, but there's still a battle going on. And so there is still tribulation. But go further in this passage. You see the world is not just a battlefield, it is also a mission field. And so look at what else Jesus says here in verse 21. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. There's a pattern of sending here. The Father sending the Son that then is in some way replicated in Jesus sending the church. The Father sent the Son into the world on a mission. The Father sent the Son into the world on a mission to overcome the world and to usher in a reign of peace. The Father sent the Son into the world on a mission to die for our sins and to rise again victoriously. And now the Son sends us on a mission. Now the Son sends us into the world on a mission. We too are sent into the world to overcome the world and to usher in a reign of peace. 
How? We can't die for the sins of the world the way Jesus did, obviously. But we proclaim the forgiveness of sins through his death. And we invite people into his new creation life, his resurrection life. And in this way, the peace of Christ spreads. That's the mission we've been given. That's the mission we're sent by Jesus to fulfill. Or perhaps we should frame it this way. We should say the mission the Father gave to the Son is now continued and extended in a new phase in us that is in the church. So we have a mission. The risen Christ gives his disciples a mission, and frankly, it is a daunting task. We are called to go into the world to overcome the world, even as the Father sent the Son, so we are sent. Well, the Son went on a mission to overcome the world. We're sent on a mission to overcome the world as well. But what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus has already told us. It means there will be tribulation. There will be tribulation in the world. There will be suffering. There will be trial and tragedy for the church. Overcoming the world means overcoming darkness with light. It means overcoming evil with good. It means overcoming error and falsehood and idolatry with truth and with true worship. It means overcoming hatred with love. It means overcoming injustice with righteousness. And when we do these things, when we carry out our mission by living faithfully in the world, by enduring the world's tribulations, we bring peace into the world. The peace of Christ. He is the Prince of Peace, and we bring his reign of peace into the world more and more as we live this way. Now, living this way is hard. Living this way hurts. Living this way can leave you scarred. Living this way can get you crucified. If not literally, at the very least, it means it is a cruciform way of life. So it means you're going to be living sacrificially. You're going to be practicing self-denial and self-sacrifice and self-giving love. This is what we're called to, to live this way, to love this way. But just as Jesus' mission did not fail, the church's mission cannot fail either. And the reason we see the church's mission cannot fail is in what happens next. Because we might wonder if Jesus has given us this great mission to overcome the world, a world full of tribulation, if he's given us this mission to bring the peace of, of Christ into the world, has he equipped us with what we need to fulfill the mission? And we find the answer to that question is yes. Even as the Father was sent, sent the Son into the world with the Spirit and through the Spirit, so we are sent into the world with and through the Holy Spirit. Jesus has equipped us with everything we need. That's what we see there in verse 22. When Jesus says these things, he breathes on them. Okay, uh, We know we're not supposed to breathe on each other these days, but uh, that's what Jesus does here. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't transmit a virus, he transmits the Holy Spirit to them. Now think about what's happening here, not just in light of our current context, but biblically what's happening here. Just as God breathed life into Adam, he breathed his spirit into Adam in the beginning, so Jesus breathes new life into his disciples. And in doing so, he forms them into a new humanity, a new race of new Adams who will share in his resurrection life 
through the Spirit. He really forms them into a new community. John 16 spoke about how they would be scattered. When Jesus is taken away, they're going to be scattered. Well, now you see the regathering of the disciples, and he gives them the bond of the Spirit. So when they go out on this mission, as they are sent into the world, they're sent together. Together they will be the body of Christ in the world. Christ unites them through his Spirit as he commissions them. And think about it this way, too. Just as Adam was given a a commission in the beginning in Genesis, a commission to go and fill the earth and rule over it, so we are now given a commission to fill the earth as well, to fill the earth with peace, to, to, to fill the earth with the rule of the Prince of Peace, so that through our mission, the Prince of Peace extends his reign, he extends his scepter of peace over all the nations, over all the creation. See, in giving us the Holy Spirit, Jesus really gives us himself, his own breath. And of course, we think about how Jesus was given to us. Jesus was given to us by the Father, and in giving us Jesus, uh, the Father really gives us himself. So there's really this pattern of self-giving. The Father gives us himself in the Son, and the Son gives us himself in the Spirit. And now we go out into the world, and we give of ourselves. We pour ourselves out in the same way for the life of the world. The giving God now wants us to give as well. The sending God sends us. The risen Jesus breathes his very life into us. He breathes his spirit into us. A spirit described throughout Scripture in a multitude of ways. This is the spirit of peace, the spirit of victory, the spirit of joy, the spirit of power. The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is found in his spirit. The spirit comes to make all things new, starting with us. Or maybe really you could say starting with the resurrection body of Jesus, but spreading out from Jesus to the disciples. So we are the beginnings, the first fruits of God's new creation. And now Jesus is continuing his work in the world through his spirit, the spirit he's given to us. So he's really continuing his work in the world through us. How is that for a high and lofty calling? To know that Jesus is doing his work in the world through you and through me. We represent Jesus. We are the presence of Jesus. We are the presence of Jesus' spirit to the world. That's our calling, to make Jesus manifest to the world. So when people see us, they see a reflection, maybe a dim reflection, but hopefully not too dim. They see a reflection of Jesus himself. They see an outline of his character. They see the shape of his life and his ministry in the shape of our lives. We are God's sent people. We are his missionary people given the spirit so we can overcome the world and bring the world true peace. And this is what the world needs more than anything. And perhaps more than ever right now, there's no question. The world is a very divided place right at this moment. There is no question. Our country, uh, our culture is very, very divided right at this moment. Things were already Divided. There were already deep divisions politically and otherwise within our culture before the pandemic started. But now with the pandemic, those divisions have intensified and you can even say the stakes have been raised. What is at stake in those divisions? It's all been heightened because of this pandemic. And it really is a matter of life and death, it seems. This virus has killed thousands The response to the virus has destroyed the lives of millions more. When you think about the economic 
impact. And we're not through with it. We're not, we're not done with it. We haven't come out the other side yet. We don't know what further damage it might cause. We're in the middle of all of this. We're in the middle of this tribulation. And yet in the middle of this tribulation, we are called to be overcomers and peace givers. We're called to be overcomers and peacemakers. How do we overcome the world in this kind of context, this kind of situation? How can we overcome the world when we're quarantined? How can we overcome the world when we're locked down, when we're locked in our homes? How can we live as sent people when we can barely leave our homes? You know, these are questions we need to ask. How can we spread peace in the midst of a pandemic when so many people are suffering and, and, and we, you know, we face a very complicated problem where it, it seems that literally there is no good solution to it. There's no solution without all kinds of problems. Well, it's not the first time in history God's people seem to have been put in an impossible place, a, a, a dilemma, a, a situation where it seems there is no way out. And I think when God does this, when God puts us in a situation where there is no good way out, there are a lot of things going on. Perhaps God wants us to grow in wisdom uh, in new ways. That's a possibility. Uh, but I certainly think something God is doing is he is driving us to trust him in new ways, to rely on him in new ways, to, to throw up our hands and say, God, we can't do it, to, to repent of whatever kind of sin we, we find in our lives, and to recognize that we are utterly dependent upon God. We've got to recognize our utter dependence upon God. This whole trial is designed to show us our utter dependence upon him and how we must live in submission to him. But even more than all of that, I think there's this. The whole point of God bringing a trial like this, bringing tribulation like this on the world, a, a tribulation that emanates throughout the world, the whole point is for God to manifest his peace through us, through his people, in the midst of this worldly tribulation. What does God want us to do? We may not be able to come up with a solution, but what we can do is manifest God's peace in the meantime. We can live with that peace because we're casting our cares and anxieties upon him. We can live with that peace because we're loving our neighbors, we're loving our family members, we're loving those who are around us. And, and certainly there are opportunities, even in the midst of this quarantine, for people to observe your family life and observe how you treat people. And they need to see the love and the peace and, and the joy of Christ in the midst of this tribulation. When times are easy, a lot of times it's hard to show the peace of Christ because everything's kind of going well for everybody. But when you enter into a time of great tribulation, there are new opportunities to manifest the peace and the love and the joy of Christ in very surprising and paradoxical ways. And this is something I think you see at the very heart of the gospel itself. The cross is all about God bringing peace through pain. Peace in the midst of the world's rebellion and brokenness. The Son of God comes into the world, and what does the world do with him? The world nails him to a cross. And you might think, well, God just says, that's it, I'm done with it. No, what God does is he says, that cross is how I accomplish peace. Peace between you and me. It might be the last place you'd go looking for peace, but there it is. Jesus says, peace, and he shows them his wounds, and then he pronounces peace again. 
This is a peace that comes through the cross. It's really the same point. It's the same point we saw last week when we looked at the earlier part of this chapter. Last week we saw how Peter, John, and Mary found glory in a graveyard. You know, especially in terms of the Jewish mindset and, 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 and the, the whole way that holiness worked and how it's geographical and, and the holiest place of all is there in the, in the temple in the most holy place and the least holy place is going to be a graveyard and yet there, Jesus in the resurrection story, he brings them together. So the tomb becomes a throne. The, the, that graveyard becomes a most holy place. And Peter, John, and Mary find glory in a graveyard. It's the last place anyone would ever go seeking for God's glory. But there it was. Well, in the same way, we can say a brutal Roman cross, a sign of all that's wrong with the world, a sign of Rome's oppression and injustice, a brutal Roman cross is the last place anyone would go looking for peace. The cross is a sign of war. It's a, song, it's a sign of all the wrong kind of power. It's the last place in the world you would go looking for peace. How can a bloody Roman cross become the place of peacemaking? How can Golgotha, the, the place of the skull, become the place of peace? But we find that is exactly what happened, and the risen Christ has the scars to prove it. Peace has been made at the cross. John 20 shows us glory in a graveyard, peace on a cross. It's paradoxical. It's unexpected. But that's right at the heart of the gospel, and it's also right at the heart of the Christian life. Indeed, it becomes the pattern of the Christian life. You know, the, the whole Christian life is about dying so that we might live. How is it that you can that, 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 that dying can become a way of life? But scripture shows us that as we die to ourselves, we more fully become ourselves. The world would say it's just the opposite. You want to really become yourself. You need to fulfill your desires and you need to look out for yourself. And it's always looking out for number one. I look out for myself and I live the way I want to live and nobody can tell me what to do. That's how you live. That's how you find fulfillment. And scripture says, no, the way of life is the way of death. The way to really live is to die. The way up is down. How can true glory be found in humility? The world just doesn't get that. The world thinks if you humble yourself, people are just going to walk all over you. That's worldly logic. You're not going to find glory in humility. And yet scripture tells us again and again, God exalts those who humble themselves. There is glory found in humility. It's not a worldly logic, but it's the pattern of the gospel. Or think about this. The the last place you'd expect to find joy is on the countenance of a cancer patient, a patient with terminal cancer. But I've known many believers who, when struck with cancer, radiated with joy. Uh, Our dear sister Brenda Jordan is a tremendous example of just this kind of joy, living for years with cancer and radiating the joy of Christ continually. You don't expect to find joy in a cancer ward. Maybe it's the last place on earth you go looking for joy. But when you have Christians there in the cancer ward, what do you find? You find joy. What about a pandemic? Who would go looking for peace in the midst of a pandemic? A pandemic that threatens to rip our country apart, a pandemic that threatens to utterly destroy our economy and our whole way of life. And yet, in the midst of this pandemic, 
God's people can manifest peace. This is what we're called to do and be. This is what Jesus sends us into the world to do and to be, to manifest his peace in a world full of pandemics, to be peacemakers and peace givers in the midst of the pandemic, to manifest his triumph in a world that is full of tragedy. That's our calling. That's our mission. This is how we overcome the world. We don't escape the world's tribulations. We pass through the world's tribulations with the joy and the peace of Christ. If Jesus made the tomb holy, and if he made the cross a place of peace, then he can transform any trial we might face into something glorious as well. Jesus sends us into the world. He sends us into the very eye of the storm, and he gives us his spirit The same spirit who hovered over the watery earth in the beginning of the creation. The same spirit who gave Adam the breath of life in the beginning. The same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. That same spirit is with us. And with the spirit of Jesus, we can fulfill our mission. With the spirit of Jesus, we can endure whatever crosses the world might seek to nail us to. We can endure whatever tribulation this fallen world might throw at us. And we can do it with gladness and with peace because we know Jesus has made peace on his cross. We know he has overcome the world in his cross and in his resurrection. We know the victory is ours. The risen Christ has the scars to prove it. May the peace of Christ be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that the peace of Christ might be with us in the midst of tribulation. This we pray in his name. Amen. Let us now confess our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed.